You're listening to Where We Are, a weekend conversation on faith, politics, family, and culture. Hosted by me, Michael Ware, and my wife, Melissa. We bring our wide-ranging experiences in politics, ministry, and nonprofit life to bear as we discuss the issues of the day. On this week's episode, we're going to assess the state of the 2024 presidential campaign. This is Where We Are. This is where we are. We are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. Melissa. We're in March. We're making our way through oh, the year. Oh, no. It's going to be March Madness, isn't it? It is. It's oh, definitely going to be March Madness. Oh, man. Uh, it happens every year, and every year I'm like, please take this cup for me. Yes. I don't watch college basketball Ugh. during the regular season, but I will watch one or two games during the conference during different conference playoffs and then once the brackets announced I'll read the like three four lines that they you know CBS Sports or Yahoo has uh, ESPN has on each team and then I develop completely irrationally strong opinions about the teams and uh, try to watch as much college basketball as I can. And uh, so that's what you have to look forward to, babe. Yeah, I don't look forward to it any, any at any time. And when you said March, all of a sudden it just came to me. Like, I don't understand the realization, what is it about the What is it's it about? It's just it? every... It's all over the social media. It's all over the news. Everybody's talking about it constantly. And I just do not care. And it's just in my face. It's shoved in my face. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. No, that's fair. I won't... I'm not going to argue you. All right. Uh, well, there we go. Out of your position. I just Ron Swanson my way into that one. <laughs> oh, curmudgeon. Okay. Uh, what were you going to say? Sorry. Well, honestly, the, the one thing I wanted to make sure that we did before we got into the, the subject of of this episode is I, I just had to give a shout out to Ann. Uh, we met Ann at, or I met Ann. Mm-hmm. You, sorry for you. Uh, you didn't meet Anne. I know. Uh, Anne attended the book event that we did uh, with David Brooks uh, this past week at East City Bookstore. And Anne's a listener of the pod. Had a really wonderful conversation with her. It just So, yeah, wanted to give a shout out to Anne. Thanks for coming out to the event. Thanks for, thanks for a wonderful conversation. Thanks for listening to where we are. Uh, all right. So, with that... Let's, Melissa, let's get into the presidential. We thought that we'd do an episode uh, that assessed the state of the race. It it is Super Tuesday is coming this uh, this Tuesday in two days. There's, it is very likely that the, it will be mathematically impossible for Nikki Haley to win uh, delegates outright following Super Tuesday. She's not really talking as if that's it's an option mm-hmm. for yeah. for for uh, her to win the nomination outright uh, at at this point. And so, figured this was a good time to talk about a general election uh, between Joe Biden, Donald Trump. 
Uh, and so, Melissa, l- l- kick us off. Where where do we stand? Where do we stand right now as we look at uh, presidential election uh, in November between Joe Biden uh, and and Donald Trump? Yeah. So we've got a bit of new polling, and that's what we're going to be working off of at least for the next few minutes. That shows Trump uh, pulling a bit ahead of Biden in a general election matchup. So there was a New York Times Siena poll of 980 likely voters, which put Trump at 48%, Biden at 44%, so that's plus four for Trump. And there was a recent Forbes and Harris X poll of um, around 3,000 registered voters, and that had Trump at 52% and Biden at 48%, so the same margin, um, plus 4%. So we looked, we looked a bit into, and just to say 10% in that New York Times-Siena poll did say that they don't know or refuse, so there's about 10% sitting there. So we dug a little bit into that particular poll in, uh, just to see what was going on, just start to look at uh, what, some demo, what different demographics are doing. Now, with the caveat that we are still far out from people actually going to vote and selecting their candidate. Uh, so we take all of this with a grain of salt, but this is like good temperature taking. Would you say that, Michael? Yeah. No, I mean, we're, we are far out from this election, but uh, this is sort of the state of the race. Uh, as we're on the precipice, I think, of... Uh, I mean, a lot of people would say the general election is already sort of uh, kicked off. So, yeah. W- w- what are we looking at, Melissa? So we've got, so in terms of enthusiasm, that was an, you know, uh, what comes closer to how you feel about Joe Biden or Donald Trump being the nominee for president? 48% said that they were enthusiastic about Trump, while 23% said that they were enthusiastic about Biden. Um, You know, so you you take that and and you think about, you know, the base and how excited is the base about the candidate and things like that. Yeah, and the the corollary of of that is, by a three to one ratio, you know, twenty seven percent, or I'm sorry, twenty six percent of Biden's voters are dissatisfied but not upset. Well, only nine percent of Trump say that. And so there, there's a at this point a significant enthusiasm gap, which tends to have implications for turnout. Yes, um, that's exactly what I was going to so say. Yeah. yeah. So a couple other numbers before jumping into some demographic stuff here. So. of voters think that the country is heading in the wrong direction, according to this particular poll. And then 43% believe Biden's policies have hurt them personally. Uh, That that second one is one that causes me to pause, especially because the Biden team is has been already even before, like the you know the general election started, even before primary started, you know Biden team trying to tout his his not just his agenda but what he's achieved. Part of what is going to be their strategy to combat all of the the age narrative problems that he has is okay. What has he achieved? I've gone and done yeah, I'm 81, but what have I done? I've done A, B, and C. And if 43% believe that Biden's policies have hurt them personally, that really cuts down the the potential efficacy of of that kind of general election focus for his team. I mean, the, the State of the Union address is coming on March 7th this week, this Thursday. 
and I highly expect that the Biden team is viewing this speech, and I, I said this two months ago, that they will be viewing this speech as a way of combating the age issue, um, but also trying to, and you know, the typical revving up the base, that's, you know, it's always done that. But also touting all of his achievements so that this enthusiasm number, you know, jumps up as well. It, 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 this Sochu speech is very important for him to sort of reset with a lot of people who might be upset with him, especially with Gaza and Israel and all kinds of other issues. So put that number out there, 43% saying that his policies have hurt them personally as a very important number to be watching. Absolutely. And I, I agree. The State of the Union will provide a, a forum for them to, to test out in a in a high profile way how they're gonna approach touting their accomplishments what is most salient with voters um so yeah i agree it's it's a significant uh, it comes at a significant uh, significant moment and the biden team will be um looking to use the speech to reset and redirect conversation and we'll see if they're successful uh, in doing that right so some demographic stuff to point out from this new york times sienna poll michael um what what were some of the what were some of the the points that you and i were making before we before we hit record well look as donald trump winning 23 percent of black voters that would be uh, almost double what Trump got in 2020 uh, among black voters, which as folks will remember, Trump gained among black voters from his 2016 mm-hmm. numbers. Uh, and so, uh, again, just the caveat, this is one poll, we're months out from the election, but it is, it is significant that you have 23% of black voters suggesting they'd, they'd vote for Donald Trump. The other, or one of the other interesting numbers that stuck out to me, Melissa, uh, was Donald Trump uh, winning 40, uh, 45% of Hispanic voters to Joe Biden's 23%. So this New York Times poll has, Joe, has Donald Trump winning Hispanic voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in 2020, Joe Biden more than doubled Donald Trump's numbers with Hispanic voters. Uh, let's see. What, what, uh, I, one other interesting stat here is um, Donald Trump uh, coming within, uh, coming pretty close to Joe Biden among non-white non-college educated voters. Biden wins 50% of those voters, but Donald Trump gets 42%. Uh, maybe one more stat I, I'd pull out here is a Donald Trump trouncing among 45 to 64 year I was about to say that the, the, the 55%, 55% to 37%. Meanwhile, Joe Biden wins among 18 to 29 year olds, 54 to 41 uh, it's relatively close among the 30 to 44 set. Uh, Donald Trump has a five-point advantage there. 
And then Joe Biden wins uh, among those 65 and older by nine points, 51 to 42. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, that yes, this is one poll. Yes, there's, there's a precedent for having... Um, in 2020, there, there was a lot of rumbling about sort of uh, some polls showing, especially among Hispanic voters, uh, things being closer than they, they ended up being. But you certainly can't ignore these numbers either if you're, if you're, if you're the Biden team. And, and certainly if you're, you know, Donald Trump gets 20% of the, the black vote, that would be um, a, a pretty, uh, th th that would be pretty jarring, uh, not just in terms of the 2024 election, but uh, what that, the implications that that might have for the Democratic Party. And, and what does the Democratic Party's coalition look like if black voters, if 20% of black voters are voting for Donald Trump and, you know, 40% uh, voting for, um, voting for, voting for Trump as well. And so look like this, this poll is a disaster. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's just, it, you know, it's, it's one poll, but if this poll reflects the state of the electorate, the Biden campaign just has a ton of work to do. And part of the issue is, um, There are weak spots all over their coalition. And are they able to reach out? Are they able to shore up some aspect of their base without turning others away? I think that's the real, the real sort of predicament. What... What do they feel they need to do to improve among Hispanic voters, for instance, uh, or uh, or suburban women, uh, and 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 is there a cost there? You know, is there a cost right. with other other demographics? Th that's going to be a, a key question. Facing facing the Biden campaign. I mean, look, you talk to the Biden campaign, and um, they'd say that this is early. Voters haven't qu quite registered, you know, the, it, what it means for Donald Trump to be yes. the nominee. Um, they're going to re sort of assess, reprice in the costs of having someone like Donald Trump as president. Once the campaign like really gets underway, et cetera, et cetera, they probably also say like we haven't even begun to tell the story of the first term. We haven't we haven't really begun making the case, and like all that is, is basically true. Here's what I'd say: like re-election campaigns are difficult. Yeah, I was about to say you you've worked on two presidential campaigns, and one of them was a re-election campaign. Yes. And look, in 2012, um, Barack Obama had the benefit 
of being able to be a bit ahead of the curve on an economic populist message and running against a Republican nominee who was primed to be sort of uh, vulnerable to that kind of campaign. But a re-election campaign is tough. Yes, you have a record to run on, but you also uh, have to defend what what happened uh, in those four years. Relationships can be frayed. Uh, uh, independent voters typically vote against the status quo. And so you're working with some headwinds there, particularly when, as has been the case for quite some time now, uh, a vast, vast majority of Americans believe the country is on the wrong track. It's hard to win re-election when that's, when that's the case. Donald Trump learned that lesson uh, in 2020. Uh, so it, 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 is, it is going to be tough. One thing that can be said, Melissa, is that this is a national, national poll, and national polls are not going to mean much. Uh, uh, we are, uh, this election is going to come down to six states, maybe four, you know, and and so these national polls help give you a, a snapshot of the, the electorate as a whole. But really, we're looking at Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona. Okay. Those are the six states that I that I think are going to decide this election. I think as as I've you know at this point as I've sort of uh, uh, taken a look at this. Uh, Gosh, we, we we could have a late night. You know, I think Nevada, Arizona, it's very possible, you know, in, in 2020 that wasn't as important because, you know, Joe Biden won. He was, he was 36 electoral votes over 270. Arizona, Arizona and Nevada, uh, they, they account for uh, what is, I think Arizona is, um, Arizona's 11. Uh, Arizona's 11, Nevada's 6. six. Yeah. And so it, we very well could have a race that's within 17 electoral votes in Arizona and Nevada, uh, those, those states coming in yeah, you so, know, being really important. Yeah, so just a reminder, the 2020 election, which was Trump versus Biden, uh, Biden got 306 electoral votes and Trump got three, 232 electoral votes. Now, of the six states that you just named, Biden won all of them. Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Georgia in that election. And, you know, significantly, uh, you know, he, he won them. He won so many of them uh, by the tightest of margins. Wisconsin, yes. you know, it's been a while since I've looked back at this map and it was just stunning to see again. You know, he won Wisconsin by 20,000 votes. He won Georgia, where over 5 million people voted. Uh, Joe Biden won Georgia by 12,000 votes. Uh, in Arizona, where over 3 million voted, he won by 11,000 votes. And so 
you know, it doesn't take a big swing here for it to be at the very least a much closer race and, and, and really just for, for, uh, for, for Trump to win. I mean, remember five of the six states that I mentioned, so excluding Nevada, five of the states that I mentioned are states that Biden flipped that Trump won in 2016. So these are states that Trump has already shown he can that win. That he can win, yep. And that Biden only won. I mean, Pennsylvania, he, he ended up winning by uh, by about 80,000 uh, 80, votes. But again, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, these were, these were very tight states. Melissa, I think, yeah, one question people are, I'm sure that's like ringing in people's heads is like, how did we get here? Like, why is this the general election we're talking about? How is, how is Trump going to be the Republican nominee for a third election, presidential election uh, in a row? Uh, and, you know, what do you, let, let me ask it to you this way. Uh, this this New York Times poll uh, surfaces that you know fifty three percent of voters believe that Donald Trump committed significant federal crimes, serious federal crimes, and yet it, it's that poll, the same poll that this New York Times poll that showed that 53% of voters believe Trump has committed serious federal crimes that show him winning a race for the presidency of the United States by five by five points. 48% of the, I mean, he's two points away from, from 50, from 50%. Uh, so, so what, 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 would, what would you say to that, Melissa? What I would say to that is over the last few weeks, I've noticed both on the Democratic and the Republican side that there's been a lot of chatter about Trump's legal issues. Now, for the Republicans, it's been about Nikki Haley. Will she stick Will she stick it out in this race through Super Tuesday? Because just in case Trump's legal troubles actually come home to roost and he is convicted, that delegates may end up going with her because she is the safer, better bet. Now, on the Democratic side... It seems like that there's been some chatter as well that says or is sort of pinning hopes on the legal issues coming home to roost in a way that feels like when you see poll numbers like the ones that you just told us about um, with the amount of people who who would continue to vote for for Trump does, despite being um, convicted of serious crimes and the term serious crimes is in that question that it, it, it really wouldn't uh, affect a lot. And we've seen, you know, with the rise of Trump again, because remember right after the midterms, he wasn't doing too well. And there was a lot of chatter that he wasn't, he, he wasn't the, the best bet in the Republican race. And then some of these indictments started happening and his poll numbers only increased. And so I would say any kind of reliance on this, this, part of the 2024 election is a fool's errand in my view at, at this point in time yeah no I, I i i i tend i tend to agree 
at this point. Uh, the question of, you know, should it be is a separate question. Uh, but right. I... I don't. I don't think that uh, folks should be waiting around much longer for the fact of Trump's legal issues to decide this this race. I don't. I, I think Democrats need to prepare for uh, an election in which that is not decisive. You know, how are you going to win? If, if that if that isn't uh, a deciding factor and so you know what should the Biden campaign uh, be be leaning on you know I, I think character is still going to be a live issue I think that a lot more can be done and will be done to remind voters what it was like to have Donald Trump as president which is, uh, and I think Donald Trump is can't help but remind uh, uh, folks of that as as through through new behavior that that you know uh, transpires over over the coming months. Uh, you know, I think the latest debate over IVF suggests. And will reinforce again for Democratic strategists this idea that abortion is now a political winner for Democrats. And I think it's going to take center stage in this in this campaign. Um, I have all kinds of personal sort of disagreements with that approach. Uh, but the polling is just very clear. This is one of the few issues in which voters have confidence uh, and, and prefer Democrats' approach. And so I, I think that's going to take up quite a bit. One, one thing we didn't talk about, though, is, and again, you know, I, I want to be... We've, we've talked about this before on the show. I think the, the politics around abortion completely changed after Dobbs. Some of the, the old strategic thoughts and some of the, some of the arguments that, that I and, and others you know would make around trying to argue the Democrats needed to move to the center on abortion. Like the political strategy behind that, uh, the, the the case that the just the whole environment changed following Dobbs. However, I did find it interesting in this New York Times poll, uh, Biden and Trump running even among women. Mm. Uh, uh, forty six uh, to forty seven percent, and that includes. Uh, that includes uh, leaners, so so folks who said they they weren't sure who they were going to vote for, but they 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 leaned in in uh, you know in in one direction. Uh, and so you, you know I find that interesting. I don't think that that's um, 
you know, in, in 2020, there was Biden won significantly among, among women. But it, it, it's a very interesting thing in the post-Dobbs landscape, as so many are arguing that really Democrats invest a great deal into the, the, the power of, you know, uh, running against Trump on abortion. Well, we're in the post-Dobbs environment. Abortion is very much in the public discourse. Uh, and at least in this poll, it's not, it's not winning women for, 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 for Biden. Um, now I think some on the left would argue, well, he's not talking enough about it. The president really needs to dig in here. Um, and that's the debate. That's part of the debate that's going to play out. Uh, I think within the Biden campaign itself, but certainly among Democrats generally, you know, especially if these kinds of polling numbers continue, but so character, I think, Women's rights are gonna are gonna be viewed by Democrats as a a key a key lever here. Melissa, anything else that you'd say is something the Biden campaign should amplify or address uh, in order to turn these numbers around in the coming months? I just don't think that the team should underestimate the power of the basically the workaround that the Biden administration had to find on student loans. Um, I see the the millennial numbers and the Gen X numbers f for Biden in this New York Times Siena poll. And I can't help but think about uh, the student loan debacle and how it was, you know, uh, the Supreme Court, you know, took that option away from the campaign, took, you know, up to $20,000 away from people. And I think that I've I've read some articles that there's been some internal polling on how um, how many people actually hang quite a bit of their vote on this particular issue, and it's more than you would think. And so, you know, if if I were running the so to this week, I would have somebody who is signed up for the safe plan, who is able to do something else in their life because they've signed up for it. I, if I were the Biden team, I'd be putting out how many people have so far signed up for save and what amount of money that they are, that collectively all these, all these folks who have signed up for this plan are actually saving. Um, I don't think that these kinds of issues that aren't like, you know, abortion or immigration, the, you know, the sort of bigger meteor stuff that gets a ton of 24 hour news cycle play and all that shouldn't be discounted, especially because there's so many other issues that are just going to hit a stalemate in Congress when it comes to, to passing legislation, like on immigration and border security. Like, you know, the Biden team, I'm sh you know, is very eager to say that they've done th something on the border. But, you know, Congress in an election year is not going to be moving on a lot of things. So the team, I think, will have some other policy areas or ways in which the American electorate is benefiting from the Biden administration, and they're going to have to um, figure out the messaging for it. Yeah. Melissa, do you think, how seriously do you take um, the, the electoral consequences of the Biden, Biden campaign's approach in Gaza? I'll be completely honest with you. I don't think it's going to electorally going to matter much. I think that the state of Michigan is 
where it plays out. And we just had a primary there where we saw that the number of uncommitted voters was only marginally higher than Obama had. And so I was waiting to see that number to see how much of an effect this issue has had there in that state where electorally that could matter. And obviously Michigan is one of the six states that you've named. It's very important. Biden flipped it. The, the whole, you know, Michigan is deeply important, but I think in the end, when it comes down to a general, like the primary could be a protest vote, but when it comes down to this general election in November, I think that that's the only state in play when it comes to this issue. And I do think that it will be a collection of other issues that really, that altogether affects how Michigan goes and not just that issue. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think you're, you're you're basically right. I I, I, I mean, I, I think I think I I agree with you is what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, I think a lot will um, Lord, I, I hope that uh, you know by November we're in a more um, that there's a, a permanent or, or long, you know, long-lasting ceasefire. Yeah, that's. I mean, the, obviously, yeah. if if the, if the conflict extends into November, then um, that then, you know, maybe that changes. But I I tend to I tend to agree with you. Um, I think I mentioned in a previous podcast. Uh, you know, would be interesting what happened if Donald Trump decided he was going to muddy the the water a, a bit mm -hmm. but but yeah i'm not i'm not convinced uh, that the electoral cost to biden here will be will be severe but i'm i'm open to seeing how it develops i mean i think it's important not just to look at the arab american vote but also 18 to 29 year old yep uh uh younger black church folks mm -hmm. um yeah. and so you know th this puts pressure on the biden coalition in a number of ways but i just tend to agree with you that i don't think it'll it'll decide people's uh enough i don't think it'll it'll decide a huge swath of voters uh decision in november i was going to mention the 18 to 29 vote in, in my response, because I th it's possible that the Biden campaign could be facing the paradox of trying to, as the Democrats have tended to do over the last, you know, more than a decade, sort of pin a lot of hopes on young people turning out to vote, while also <laughs> dealing with the fact that they understand that it's um, that particular generation, the youngest generation that's able to vote is the one that is most pro-Gaza and most pro-ceasefire at this point and the one most upset with the Biden administration's policy here. And so they might be dealing with a bit of a conundrum. Yeah, yeah. no, for sure. All right, well, I think we'll we'll end it there. We'd love to hear from you. What, what, what issues did we miss? Uh, are there other states that you think might be in play in 2024? Uh, what matters to you as you're thinking about the presidential uh, election race? What is what's going to decide your vote 
Now, we'd love to receive comments from you and, and may even you know, feature them in a forthcoming episode. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll end it there. We'll see what happens on Super Tuesday, see if there are any surprises uh, uh, that take place on Super Tuesday. Um, and then the State of the Union on Thursday. And then the State of the Union is on Thursday. I have. And, and because of the way it's, it's timed out, you know, it very well could be uh, even more clear that that's sort of the kickoff of, of the general election. Right. And I last year I created a State of the Union bingo card and a lot of people loved it. So I've created another one this year so that as you watch it and listen along, you can, you can, you can try to win bingo. I'll put it in the show notes and we'll put it on social media and in, in our sub stack. What so, a treat. Yeah. You're welcome. Yes. All right. You've been listening to Where We Are. Bye.